0: It's episode 30! Wow! That's a lot. This is Sean Grigsby. Welcome to Cosmic Dragon. If you're not familiar already, already one of those cool subscribing folks, this is a podcast where I talk to speculative fiction folks. That includes authors, agents, editors, and I know that I really haven't had but my agent on. (laughs) But hey, in the future, I'm going to try to get more uh, agents and editors on because I know that there are people out there that are very interested in what agents and editors are looking for and just, you know, the basic process of publishing. Uh, Traditional publishing, but also self-publishing. I have self-publishing people on here as well. I myself am a traditional author, and I am the author of the Smoke Eaters series, which includes, well, Smoke Eaters, uh, which is already out. That's about firefighters versus dragons. The sequel to that is Ash kickers. Yes, you heard right. And that's about firefighters versus dragons versus a phoenix in the future. Now, a book I'm really proud of, I've put my heart and soul into it, is Daughters of Forgotten Light. Now, that's also out. That came out September 2018. That is a grindhouse exploitation motorcycle girl gangs in space extravaganza. If you like science fiction, but you like it on your more pulpy, violent side, this book would be for you. And so you can check all of those books out anywhere. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, The Devil Who Doesn't Pay Taxes. You know who I'm talking about. And uh, things like that. I mean, I have a Kindle. I feel guilty about it. Anyway, today we're talking with Gareth Hanrahan, who is the author of The Gutter Prayer from Orbit Books. And it's out now. It's a dark fantasy. We're going to talk about it. You'll hear more about the book and also about gareth so why don't we just jump into it shall we yeah. you know it's interesting i actually was in cork almost a year to the day last year yeah, you, you were saying what, what were you doing over here oh just visiting my wife had the idea and she found a vacation package online for ireland and she's like you want to go it's like well, I've got book advance money that, <laughs> that I've since not taken taxes out of. Uh, word to the wise of listeners listening, uh, take your taxes out uh, before you do anything with that money because uh, I'm, I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> so we traveled to Ireland. And uh, the thing about it, though, that I'll probably not recommend to anybody unless that's their thing. Uh, it was the kind of trip where and I didn't realize this until after we'd already booked it. But you, they gave us a renter car, and we traveled all over the country. And I was taken aback and overwhelmed a little bit because I didn't realize that when she <laughs> she told me about the trip. And I was like, wait a minute. We're going to be driving all over Ireland? So this was like two hours' drive every single day. I think the first – we landed in Dublin, and then we drove to Kilkenny. Oh. And Rush. then we drove to Cork. And then just everywhere. And then the Cliffs of Moher – we completely couldn't see because we we arrived too late and it was foggy. We couldn't see a damn thing, and she was very disappointed in that. But uh, what did I do? I forgot. Oh, in Cork we went to the uh, I forget the exact name, but it's a market. It's the Eng- the English market. That's right. And yep. uh, we went upstairs, and they were having a poetry. It's probably happening right now uh, where you are. Uh, the poetry it's- convention or something like that. Entirely plausible. We, we,
1: we, we do things like that.
0: <laughs> so we had Did all of these people for the poetry thing in there, and I'm like, I write science fiction and nobody
1: cared. <laughs> uh, we should go out the English market up to Waterstones or over to one of the game shops and you'd have found a... Well, a slightly more informed audience. They might have cared, but they'd like, you know, known what you were talking about. <laughs> right.
0: But I loved Ireland. But the strange thing is, you know, driving around uh, two hours every day, it looked very similar to Arkansas, where I, where I live. Which seems strange.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've never been to Arkansas. Like, I've, been, I've been around, like, Wisconsin places, and, like, certainly, certainly, like, you know, once you get enough rain in a place... yeah, It yes. just becomes, like, you know, green, green and grassy, but... Uh, and a little bit I, I, damp, yeah. Yeah. Did you visit the butter museum? The butter museum? We have we have uh, a butter museum in Cork.
0: I did not, but now you, I regret you, you, not having done that.
1: I know you. You could have seen the second oldest butter in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, wait,
0: wait. They have the they have that on display. The yeah, actual the, butter. Yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's a lump of bog butter. It's like you know, three thousand years old or something. It is, looks like. Coal, basically wow but, yeah but there's, there's one in poland which is like five thousand years old and that's, <laughs> yeah. far more impressive
0: i'm trying to think what we did in cork because it was on the itinerary but now i cannot remember exactly what we did i know we went to the the market but that's all well, then, i can remember
1: well I mean, the, the market is sort of the sort of the instant tourist thing that's right in the center and has all sorts of interesting foods um but I anyway, uh, I presume you, did you go down around the rear places then? Or was this straight up then towards uh, Claire on the Cliffs?
0: Yeah, I think Claire was the next, it, we stayed the night. And if but, I look back at my Facebook memories, I could probably <laughs> tell you exactly what we did. That's, that's one good thing. We went to Blarney Castle, you know, we, we did the whole tourist the thing. Oh, trap of course, thing. yes, indeed. Actually, now that I'm looking, yeah, uh, a year ago, we went to Blarney Castle. Right. I kissed the Blarney Stone. My my wife refused to. She says, "I'm not putting my lips on something <laughs> that other people have touched." I'm like, "Well, the, but uh, anyway, she she's a nurse, so she's kind of a germaphobe."
1: Uh, that seems entirely fair to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they, like, they do clean the stone, and it is like you know, as sanitary as a lump of like castle masonry can be, but still. <laughs> I think what
0: it was is that she heard the urban legend or the rumor that people go up there, pissed and just take a leak on the stone, um, just because they think it's funny. And she, I don't think that's true because having been there, they have the place
1: locked down. Yeah, it's pretty secure. I mean, I assume for the like you know safety and of like the, the Irish tourist economy, that's not true. I'm are sure anyone listening to that no, it is perfectly unpissed on i would hope (laughs) at at least within the last like 30 years before that i can't i
0: can't we 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 couldn't be (laughs) sure and who knows if they've cleaned it uh enough since those days well uh, to let listeners know we're speaking with gareth hanrahan which i hope i didn't butcher his name uh that time and uh you are the author of the gutter prayer which just came out from orbit books what can you tell us about it
1: Um, it's a dark fantasy novel about three thieves in this weird city. Uh, they're betrayed by the master of the thieves guild and go on a quest for revenge. At least that's sort of the starting point because it wanders off, well, charges off in many different directions from there involving alchemical wars and, uh, um, monstrous gods and ancient conspiracies and, you know, stabbing, and lots of stabbing. Lots of stabbing.
0: That's <laughs> a very stabby book. Would you consider it grimdark? Because a, a lot of people, you know, that that's just a term that they tack on, and it came from, obviously, the Warhammer 40K. Yeah. And
1: Yeah, no, I mean, pe- people have been shouting, going, oh my god, this is so grimdark. And they're going, I guess. I mean, I first saw uh, came across grimdark as a sort of parody term for the the over-the-top, right. of, you know, nihilism of 40k or something where like you know the good guys are the space fascists and right. they're good guys because <laughs> everyone else is so much worse
0: right it's like well um, y- you have two evils and uh, go with the best best evil
1: yeah where it's prayer i it is full of like you know horrible people and hard choices and so forth but it's grimdark adjacent i guess grimdark but maybe there's a slight upturn at the end right so n- yeah. not as grim as maybe I, uh, others are. I, I, I certainly wasn't going for grim, but uh, 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 there is quite a lot of grimness in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a re- resolute dark. You're, you're grim, but you're going to keep going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, is this you considered your debut novel, your, your first published one?
1: Ish. Um, Ish. Basically, I work, I've worked in role-playing games for many, many years. And I did a licensed novel based on the Paranoia role playing game. Okay. Um, a few years ago, which is now out of print, which, um, but like it was a, a licensed novel, and it really like, you know, appealed to Paranoia fans, and didn't really sell beyond that. So this is a, this is the first like this is my debut novel. In that it's a novel you can like you know buy in bookshops and isn't tied to an existing property.
0: Right, not a tie-in. I got you. Yeah. So is this is obviously not the first book you've written uh so how many is this for you what what
1: i, I honestly have no idea <laughs> you've written that many yeah when when i started out i was working for a company called mongoose publishing who had back in the days of the D, mm-hmm. the first D boom or the or the the well they actually the second the, the d20 boom we, we'll call it back in the basically early like 2000s right when basically Dungeons & Dragons Dragon 3rd edition became this open gaming license so anyone could publish supplements for it, there were loads of companies who were basically firing books out as quick as they could. So with Mongoose, I was effectively writing a book a month for them. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was like 70,000 words a month. That's um, insane. Yes, yes it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's some output. I couldn't do that for sure. 20,000 words a month is... 70, Seventy. Pretty good. 70, 70, well, yeah, um, <laughs> for, for me, though, like 20,000 oh, yeah. is, is, is doing good. Seventy thousand. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, so I did that for a few years, um, which was an education on multiple levels. Um, but yeah, I have no idea how many books I have written, either like solo or contributed to the bulk of. It's probably over a hundred, but I wouldn't swear to that. Wow. That's
0: impressive. That's very impressive. Uh, so, you are represented by, is it John Gerald? Do I have that information correct? You are correct. Awesome. Because I'm friends with uh, John on Facebook, and every time I share uh, your cover, he likes it and reshares it. So, I just assume <laughs>
1: <laughs> that he's John's lovely. Yeah. Um, no, actually, actually, one of my editors at Mongoose was Richard Ford, who is now another author with John Gerald. He did the Steelhaven trilogy, and um, he just came up with um, A Demon in Silver there last year. And he poked me a few years ago and said, if you ever write a novel, get in touch with John. And then a few years later, I wrote a novel and was vaguely thinking of self-publishing it and sent it off to John instead. And John said, yes, I'll represent you. And was that The Gutter Prayer or was that another book? That that, that was The Gutter Prayer.
0: Fantastic. So tell us about the submission process, because you're be, you're published with Orbit. Orbit's the one who, who's published the Gutter Prayer. How long was the submission process for you, and how how did that
1: go? Um, it was fairly short. I mean, I set, I basically sent. I wrote the book, sent it off to a couple of open calls because around the time, like Angry Robot and my publisher, mm-hmm. and these lovely lovely people in it. Um, I think Galanz were doing open calls at that time, and I sent it in. I I think it did okay, but didn't. Wasn't either like it you know, wasn't what they're looking for, or like bounced off some beta reader or something. And I thought, oh, fair enough. I'll publish it. And they sent it off to John because it was basically going to take me a few months to get a cover ready and so forth. And within like I think, about under six months anyway, he said, "Here, I've got a contract." Wow! And yeah, it was well, John is well is like you know very well connected to the orbit. He's run the place, so I think. Oh, there's- okay. So they kind of take his. Recommendations? Hey, he's, Seriously? He's, yeah. Yeah, he 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 knows everyone in there, and in is in the first Portugal. And um, yeah, th- that was it. It was inside watching Thor Ragnarok, and then up negotiating the contract in the bathroom of the cinema.
0: <laughs> That's interesting because I watched Thor Ragnarok uh, on the way back from Ireland.
1: So <laughs> I on the, the, the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Our paths crossed in a kind of a strange cosmic way. I'm
1: going to go back and stalk you on Facebook now and work out exactly like you where we were relative to each other. Like you, if right. I had turned down <laughs> different street in Cork,
0: I may have passed you and, and had never known. It's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, is Cork a pretty big town? Or no. Is it? no. Okay,
1: so yeah, it's very possible. Very. Possible. Oh yeah, I mean, but, but be, not, not just be a big town, but because of like the geography and the nature of Ireland everything sort of centralizes a bit. And let me, get, let me give you another example. Um, with Orbit, they, uh, my publicist in London rang the Hachette pu- uh, publicist in Dublin to organize a book signing in the local bookshop. And that publicist got in touch with the guy in the bookshop who went, yeah, Gareth, yeah, I think I kind of know him. Right. And the, it goes back through the email chain. They went, oh, we've got a signing with this um, in the local bookshop. And they went, oh, yeah, I think I know the guy who's organizing it vaguely. <laughs> and we have like you know, multiple friends in common. But like yeah, Ireland is very, very small, and so is Cork. So there are always I, I, unexpected connections.
0: I remember what I did in Cork. We we what? arrived late, uh, and we were tired, and we didn't know exactly what to do. Uh, but we were staying at the Ambassador Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know if you, and I, driving around those streets was insane to me. (laughs) First of all, I'm on the wrong side of the the car. Well, I I don't say the wrong side, the opposite side of the car, the opposite side of the street. And people are just zooming and These alleys are so narrow, these streets. And it's just, I was ready to get out of the car.
1: Yeah, Cork is built on a marsh. The cork the Irish, is basically marsh. Right. So a lot of the streets are basically covered over river channels and so forth, and like the one way system is kind of based on hydrographics in a lot of cases. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, Where, we, like, it was it, up on the on the hill. I, I yeah, think I the north side. Yeah, it's it's very beautiful. I remember looking out and I was like,
1: wow, this is great. It's, <laughs> yeah, very, very scenic, but also yeah somewhat inaccessible at times <laughs> no, it's great it's great for walking assuming you like pills and rain right. <laughs> I yeah
0: i do i do yeah, well, uh, so, <laughs> i kind of got off track there ta- remembering my trip um but so okay so you, you signed with john six months on submission orbit picked it up that's yeah that's, wow that's great how, how has it been working with orbit
1: it's been lovely um so far um they're very nice people i i've got the second book in with the editors now with emily and bradley and at some point um, I, I, the, actually the first book went through the editorial process very very smoothly there were like fairly minimal changes the second one i have had to tear apart and redo to a large degree so i'm waiting to see <laughs> right. if, the, if the tear apart and redoing has been sufficient so it was, was it a three book deal it's a, it's a two-book deal. Two-book deal, okay. Is that,
0: is that something that you had in mind to begin with, or had they approached you and said, how many books would
1: you like to do in this series? No, I, I wrote it as a standalone. <clears throat> okay. Um, and they came back and went, to have, have this book and another book set in the same world. Um, so I'm trying to, basically, the, the first two anyway, as semi-standalone-ish. Right. So the second book has like different protagonists and is like set a year later and doesn't what while, while like you sort of follows on for the end of the first one. You don't need there the you don't need to know exactly what happened in the first one to follow on the second one theoretically. Okay, but it's just, it, it yeah.
0: it's it takes place in the
1: same world. Yes. Same world, same city and it's like some some of the characters cross over but like minor ones in the first book become major ones in the second.
0: See, Gareth, I have the same approach. I, I usually just stick to standalones. And some I could see being series, but I don't want to write more than one book at a time unless I'm paid for it, <laughs> 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 but, you know, just for uh, obvious reasons. Um, but a lot of publishers really love series, and a lot of readers really love series. And I guess I'm just different because I'm okay with a standalone. I, I, if it's a good writer, I'll, I'll come back to re- read whatever else they, they write.
1: Yeah, in my case, because I'm so used to doing like ongoing campaigns and like trying to have open-ended stories because of my background in role-playing games, here it's sort of like you—it's know, a standalone, but I like you know, built in lots of possible optional sequels if it comes along. So I mean, I could basically turn to turn to a series if there's sufficient interest, or it work as a standalone too. Right, kind of leave it open. Because
0: exactly. with, with me and the smoke eaters, that's that's exactly what happened. Uh, Angry Robot uh, offered on it. Well, actually, before they officially offered, they, they said they were interested. And then they asked if I could send them synopses for two more books in, in a series. And I was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I kind of pulled the the plot of Ash Kickers out of my rear end and actually stuck to it uh it, it kind of worked out and then the third book i haven't written yet uh they haven't bought it yet uh, angry robot likes to buy one book at a time for some reason um i guess it's just safer and yeah. uh, but uh, daughters of forgotten light is completely standalone which which i like and i'm glad and i will not write any more <laughs> it's solid it's it's done it i cannot say any more um, so that's interesting uh, it, it, who who's your editor at at orbit
1: uh, Emily is my primary editor. Oh, Emily okay,
0: Byron. and because I know that you you have Orbit UK and then Orbit in the US, and that they're the same, they're owned by Hachette, obviously. Uh, so I'm tr- I'm trying to figure out exactly. So you you obviously being in Ireland, I'm assuming you deal mainly with Orbit UK, and they just kind yeah. of transfer. It. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm still trying to like you know, sort of na- navigate the bureaucracy myself, and like you, know, I mean have a very different experience as, like, publicity for book one continues and development of book two goes on. But so far, like, it's been, like, sort of 90% interaction with the UK side and everything going through them, other than the occasional uh, publicity email for US-based stuff.
0: Okay. Very good. How So how's the book doing? I know that's kind of a, uh, a strange question to ask because, you know... No, no. <laughs> or not strange uh, but kind of a dangerous
1: question i guess would be a better way yeah it's interesting. I, I i'm not entirely sure because i'm sort of, i've i've been writing books for a long long time but all my calibrations are based on the role playing industry right so like you know with a role playing book for example there there's no equivalent say good reads really in role playing games right like for for a role playing book if you get like you know two or three reviews that's an awful lot of critical you're doing attention. very well yeah we're not necessarily doing well, but certainly you know, lots of people talking about it. Right. Whereas with this, it's like, you know, oh, five minutes ago, like you know, three reviews came through there. Yeah. Um, the one metric I can say, it's gone to a second printing already, which oh, is nice. well, in that's always a
0: good sign, yeah.
1: That, I, yeah, I mean, that is definitely a good sign. I, I think sales have been good in the UK and respectable in the States is what I'm getting, but it's hard to actually get, like, you know, I get actual numbers, but I don't know what those numbers mean. So unless we, like, you know, go off and start comparing things –
0: yeah, and it's hard because and and you could probably like I do look at uh Amazon's author metric thing. But that's not a hundred percent accurate. It may give you kind of a
1: an idea, but Yeah, I mean you, you, you can get like you know right now, this is a snapshot of how my book is selling versus someone else's. Right. But unless you're right like you're you're well up there in the ratings, then even the sale of like you know, one book in the last hour will pump you up like you know, twenty thousand spaces or something. Right. <laughs> it's very so, uh, strange,
0: and they go day by day, so you can't really yeah. give a, a good justification. Or, or I mean, you,
1: you, there's the, you've seen the
0: author central thing, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, what I mainly look at. The book scan. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you, you can go into that and in, in compare stuff over time, but unless you have access to someone else's data, then you really can't tell. Like, you know, are you doing better than average, worse than average? Is like your know, expectations right? Crushing and burning horribly.
0: Exactly. Because you have ind- independent bookstores, you have um, Barnes Noble, and uh, there was some uh, bookshop I went to in, in Dublin, but I can't remember the name of it. But uh, they're they're fairly big there. Um, yeah, Are you the can't. Eagles? No, I didn't go to that one. I went to. Beasles. It started uh, chap Was it Chapel Books? It started huh. with a C. I just picked one there were yeah. so many and I said ah, how about that one so, yeah. <laughs> and they didn't have my book yet uh, this was a month before it released but I found my friend Peter McLean's <laughs> book there and uh, a bunch of others uh, orbit authors KB wagers they had her oh. book uh, so yeah well let's talk about your writing process uh, because obviously you write a lot or have written a lot so what, what is a good writing day for you if, if everything goes according to plan
1: um, A good writing day is about 4,000 words. Woo! But, that, but see, that's going to be because my, my day job is also writing still. Okay. Before I started doing novels, I was doing role-playing games full-time, which is something of a rarity. Um, With, with a small bit of computer game work. And until the novel sold... And fiction writer I was doing was on top of that. Um, so it's, it's, it's squeezed in around the margins. Um, so basically, my current system is basically set set deadline in Scrivener, wake up early, try and hit that target on the novels, and then get in my hours on uh, role-playing books.
0: How do you like um, Scrivener? Is that, Does it work well for you?
1: I find it really, really useful as or found it really useful as a sort of psychological break because I do most of my sort of my quote unquote work writing in word for role playing games. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it was useful to have sort of a separate space where I could go, write, While I have this open, I am writing for myself. This is fun writing as opposed to work writing, even though they're both fun and they both work on you know different levels. But right. it was useful to have this sort of psychological division. Now that they're both work writing, it's not, quite as useful but I I do like Scrivener just for moving chunks of text around Um, because I found what I'm doing with novels is that I like write a chunk of it then outline the next bit and that may require like like redoing or moving parts of the earlier book around like the second book especially Scrivener saved my life because so much of the book got rejuggled and rejiggered
0: (laughs) right That was actually going to be my next question is uh, whether or not you're a pantser or what some people call discovery writer or a plotter. So I'm I'm assuming you you do an outline for your novel. Uh,
1: What I seem to be doing is write a vague outline, write a chunk of the novel, and then go, okay, that outline was useful in planning, but the book is going in a different direction now. Right. Let's let's see where things go from here. Um, I'm... Pretty good, I think, at sort of like you're developing plots that can go in lots of different directions, and then I've got to pick one. Right. Uh, and the picking one is the hard part.
0: <laughs> it's like, hey, you know that that gives me an idea for you, uh, Gareth, is maybe you can do a choose your own adventure book next time. Since you have I've, different choices in your, in your mind. yeah,
1: anyway. I, I mean, I could do that very easily. I'm, I'm very easily. I've, seen, I've seen how much work that goes into those and this, like, the spreadsheets and spider diagrams involved.
0: Oh, goodness, um, yeah. I, I applied to uh, write a game.
1: Oh, choice, like, choice, 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 of, choice game of games. Or and then, yeah,
0: thankfully, it, it didn't work out because looking back, that would have k- killed me. <laughs> it would have been hell. I couldn't, I, ah, I would have tried to do it and tried my best, but I probably yeah. would never want to do it again.
1: That, that's, because I mean, the, the great thing about, about tabletop games is you've got a GM there to do all the hard work for you. You just right. like, you know, feed ideas and they got to sort it out. But like choose a adventure stuff requires an awful lot of sort of pre planning and plotting. And it, it is definitely a headache. Um, I've been watching a friend of mine, Dave Morris did, um, uh, can you Brexit? Which is basically a choose your adventure where you're the Prime Minister of England trying to navigate the whole Brexit thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I have read about. It Apparently, it's fantastically well researched, and sort of the, the bits I've seen online are very, very accurate. And uh, that looked like I've seen some of the pot diagrams for that, and that's just sprawling and headachy.
0: Some some people are just very good at that sort of thing, I guess, and and I'm not one of the... <laughs> I'm very right-brained. I'm very. I'm way more on the imaginative, imaginative side than I am the logistical, uh, which can be a strength and a weakness, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, have you seen Bandersnatch on Netflix? Yes. Did you?
1: <laughs> what did you think about that? I enjoyed it. Um, it was very sort of. That's I one suppose, I suppose the limitations of, of the TV because you've got to like, film all that. Right. There weren't that there weren't that many branch points, and it was it seemed almost enchanted by its own cleverness at times. So well, I'm a huge fan of most of the Black Mirror stuff. Right. Um, Russian Doll as well. Have you seen that on, on Netflix? I love Russian Doll. Yeah, I mean, even though that's a, a straight narrative. It, it felt very very similar because you had the whole like you know, rinse, repeat, try the day again thing.
0: Right. And I was worried I was going to say, I, I thought to myself, oh, this is just going to end up being like Groundhog Day or uh, Happy Death Day, which I haven't seen, but uh, I, heard, I heard it's really good. And, um, but it wasn't. It was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And a lot of it was because I love uh, Natasha Lyonne. <laughs> My wife deserve- the other day, she we were I think we were just uh, relaxing and searching through Netflix or something to watch and uh, I think Meet Joe Black. Popped up and she goes, oh yeah, Brad Pitt, and of course, usually I just don't even think about this because you know that's just a common thing for m- most women <laughs> and men. Uh, but I, this time I said, oh yeah, well I like Natasha Leone and I showed, and she's like, oh really? Like she she was judging my my celebrity crush when she just <laughs> threw hers out, which I didn't say what I I wanted to say, which was. Actually, I won't say that on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I'm trying to keep it at least a, a low R, if not PG-13. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how long ago did The Gutter Prayer come out? Has it been about two weeks?
1: Do I have that uh, right? No, it's close to a month now. Was, the American release was the 22nd of January, and the UK release was the 17th. Um, so we're about a month out now. okay. So so, so the, so the, the initial rush is sort of like, you know, calming down. Well, uh, I can tell I'm you. Wrong, I'm, wrong, I'm wrong with the hot new thing, so.
0: <laughs> well, don't sell yourself short, Gareth, yeah. because the way, at least it happened for me, is that it, it, obviously you have that initial surge, yes, and then yeah. it goes down. But then comes another one, and then that goes down. And so it... If you're not careful, and if you're like me, it becomes like a drug. And so you're always constantly waiting for that next fix uh, to come through. Uh, but thankfully, yeah. I f- focus on the next book, and that, that kind of distracts me from that. I couldn't imagine anybody not working on something else while, while that was going on.
1: We're well, in, in a weird place at the moment because book two is written. I don't know if there will be a book three in the series, so I'm not sure if I should be like you know, doing the next Black Iron book or starting something new. And Also, my wife is having a baby in any day now. Yeah, yeah, well, like Wednesday at the latest. So I really can't. St- or I could start like you know a new novel this weekend, but I'm. It mightn't get very far.
0: <laughs> is this going to be your first baby? Uh, no, third, third. Okay, so so you're used to. I was going to say I, when I have my kids, um, I can't write. It's impossible. they <laughs> they're they're, uh, they're three. And five and they're the type where if they are playing normally quiet enjoying themselves they look up and they get the sense that wait a minute daddy's doing something important i need to go mess with them and so i've just decided you know i'm and plus i want to focus on them obviously um sometimes that's not possible um if i if i have a deadline
1: yeah, we have two six-year-olds, and they're they're fairly good so far. But like, you know, not going to the office when I'm when I've got the door closed. Um, but yeah, you, you have to like learn to write when they're asleep. And oh yeah, find, find those gaps. Um, that said, I mean, I wrote when, when, when just after they were born, I wrote an adventure for a friend of mine for one book um, for this game called La- Las Vegas, for James Wallace, mm-hmm. and I wrote a twenty thousand word I think adventure for that. And I have no memory of writing it whatsoever because it was written in like, you know, about a month or two after they were born in this complete state of complete sleep deprivation. And I have to this day, I have no idea what's in it. But apparently, it was quite good. So maybe I shall like, you know, emit another novel or something in the next few weeks and have no memory of doing so. Right. nice to think about.
0: It, that's Interesting. You know, it's kind of one of the, you know, people, uh, writers always talk about, you know, I wish somebody could write the book for me. You can have yourself write it and just not remember it. and <laughs> Let it be very, very good and and, and uh, sell well. Um, yeah. But oh, sleep <sighs> de- deprivation is a real thing as a parent. Uh, you, no, one, no one tells you. Well, they might tell you, but you don't understand until you... Yeah, yeah you. Uh,
1: uh, exactly. Until you're, you're in that moment and you're trying to stay sane. It, it's, it's like being a great going through a war or something. Unless you've been there, you don't understand. (laughs) Right? Very true.
0: Very true. So, I always like uh, to ask my guests what their writer goals are for the future because it's always nice to talk about it because I have my own, obviously, but uh, just to kind of get a a picture of what other authors aspire to. So, what are some writer goals that that you'd like to check off?
1: Oh, that's interesting because I I don't know. I mean... (laughs) See, i sort of stumbled into writing as a career at a, a fairly young age like I, i've been like writing full-time since i was 23 or so which is like fairly unusual but in a very sort of like you know narrow and obscure field um so it's like you know, make it by quote-unquote day job i did that from like very early on so like that's one common goal were sort of ticked off um I, I would really like to like, you know, finish off the Black Iron Legacy completely. Right. Um, after that I don't know, I'm sort of like your know, take it, you know, as it comes. I should probably have like you know, a grand master plan of reading Jeff Vandermeer's um book life which is a fantastic book on basically the business of being a writer and like mm-hmm. know, the psychology of it. And right. that goes into depth about like you know, have like you know, your list like, your know, 5 year 10 year plan. Um so you should probably like come with one of those. Give me, 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 me back on in a year and I will give you my grand plan. Alright right. Right I'll, <laughs> I'll
0: have right, you I'm back sure and you
1: can tell me. Exactly. Right now I'm going I have written one book, it's it, that was fun. I've done a second one. Hope, hope people like that. Um I should do another one like you.
0: And <laughs> you're with orbit, so it's what else do you need? You <laughs> 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 You you've done it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Let's, let's, let's go grand. T V deal, movies. Yes. <laughs> I want my books on, I want my books in a McDonald's happy meal. That's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've never heard that before, but that's an awesome idea. Um it and then we can get these kids reading, you know, some dark fantasy, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so where did the title The Gutter Prayer
1: come from? Um I, it's co- it was co- I mean, it was a better title than the original title of Remo 2014. <laughs> um, I guess, I, w- I mean, the book is about this, like, thieves in this, like, you know, fantastic city. So the gutter element's obviously just like, you know, them crawling in the gutters and climbing over the climbing rooftops and drain pipes and so forth. And then the prayer is just like the fact that it's so much it is about gods and supernatural forces up there inter- intervening and interceding in, in this grotty um, gutter world. Right. Um, it just seemed to come together. I, I quite like it as a, as a, as a phrase. Um, gutter is a very, like, you know, Close, not a little but like you know, almost on an onomatopoeic word, like you know, gutter, gutter all. Oh. Right. It's harsh. And then prayer is like nice and aspirational, so it's a nice sort of dichotomy of form or something. <laughs> well, that it is. Very, that's very pretentious. I apologize. I mean, <laughs> no, didn't, I didn't. That wasn't pretentious <laughs> at yes. all. Uh, I but... want dichotomy of form on a happy meal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it does, uh, though, give. That's what I think gr- great titles. Uh, are about is that yes it, it may give a bit of a mystery or a, a intrigue if you will a, into you know making the reader go well, well i wonder what that's about but it also kind of gives a visual along with the cover obviously uh into what the story might be about and kind of gives you an idea and i think the gutter prayers it it's a fantastic title especially it being dark fantasy um if it was something else i don't know if it would work
1: <laughs> so that's i think so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I I went through lots of like you know City of X titles. Um, I, I, I loved um, Robert Bennett's um, Divine Cities books, like City of Blades, City of City of Stairs, City of Stairs. Yeah, and I was going City of Alchemy stuff. <laughs> City- <laughs> um, so glad I found something that wasn't quite Alchemist so City. Listened. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so you. Sorry, Sorry did, I was going to ask: Do you uh, deal with alchemy in the book a lot? Then,
1: yeah, um, the book is a little bit based on Cork, Ooh. and just loop, loop back earlier. Uh, cork was known for its uh, butter trade; it was like one of the great butter exporting uh, cities of the world back in the like eighteenth uh, century. And these days, our big thing is pharmaceuticals. Oh, there are like, loads of like chemical plants down the harbor and so forth. Um, so I, on some level I sort, of think I sort of connected the two of those so basically it is like a, a city that exports the sort of fantasy equivalent of uh, pharmaceuticals and, and pharmaceuticals and chemistry which is alchemy and I think the idea of this sort, of, sort of trading city on the edge of a larger economy and, lar- and in this book larger war just sort of resonated and certainly there, there are bits of cork geography in there as well um, they've they, they got this like, sort of hilly city with the water in the middle. You've got this university, which is very clearly based on University College Cork. You've got lots of spires and bells, and you've got some like you know fairly grotty gutters, which you can find if you <laughs> go down <laughs> any aforementioned alleyways. Yeah,
0: that's that's awesome. I, I like uh, when when now obviously you, you, there's magic. It, it being a dark fantasy. Uh, and, and, and intertwine with the alchemy, which I
1: guess some people would call alchemy magic. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't actually been explored that much in the book, but there's they're working off the same principles. Basically, alchemy is basically using sort of cast-off bits of um, divine magic. So, like, you know, if you have, like, you know, a temple to some fire god like a thousand years ago, if you go back in there and grind up the stones, you can extract fire magic from that temple, and that's where the alchemists get their stuff. Right. But that's very much just, that, that doesn't actually come up in the book that much directly. But okay. There, there is, because I'm a you know, game designer, I am going to include a, a grand unified theory of magic in there. You're right. Even if it's not actually on the text or in the text. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what are some other ideas you've got, Churning, or what, what you can tell us about uh, that uh, you'd like to tackle? I, I mean, do, would you primarily stick to fantasy, or do you have uh, aspirations maybe add
1: a little science fiction or horror into there? I, I've got lots and lots of started novels and ones which were like, you know, start, start and will never finish. Um, most of them are either fantasy or, or horror. Um, I'm always very nervous with horror because it needs to be, it doesn't need to be in the present day, but a lot of the ideas aren't, are in the present day. Right. And writing in the present day is tricky, especially for me because, like you know, if I write about Ireland, am I limiting myself to sort of the local market? If I write about America, is it going to become like or like you know England or whatever? Is it going to become very much so sort of again an outsider's perspective and like you know just sort of made up and feel still too artificial? Right. Um, so I may stick to fantasy for a while. Anyway, I wonder if I should do something comedic as well. Although no comedic fantasy doesn't sell, but. It does well, start- Yeah, but like, I started with this like you know dark, grim dark horror, fa- uh, fa- dark fantasy thing, right? But a lot of my writing previously has been, or not a lot, but it's like you know, a surprising proportion has been towards the sort of leisure comedic side. Um, well,
0: John Landis, uh, I, I'm sure other people have said it, but John Landis, who directed American Werewolf in uh, London. Uh, said that horror and comedy are two sides of the same coin. So, oh, absolutely! Yeah. So you could probably um, do a horror comedy fantasy. That would be that would be interesting.
1: Well, yeah, but then I'm uh, I'm sort of you're tracking back towards um, Charlie Strauss's Laundry Books, which I did, I did the uh, role-playing game for them. Oh, okay. It's, so, uh, <laughs> so on one of them, yes, I could. On the other. might be like (laughs) you well you know you
0: could do something different but i i can understand the the reservation on that as well so uh, well we're gonna wrap things up gareth uh thank you so much for coming on cosmic dragon uh are you going to be at the dublin world con in august
1: I shall be at the, I be at the Dublin World WorldCon. I shall have two six-year-olds and a zero-year-old in tow. So I'm not right. quite sure <laughs> how, how how much of the con I'll actually make it to. But I'm going to I, I shall be there for a chunk of it anyway. Because I mean it's it's Dublin, so and plus friends of mine are running it, so I sort of have to show up. Right. If I'd love to come,
0: if I get nominated for the Campbell Award or something, I'm going to have to. I, I have to yes. show up. But I just. Okay, I just went to Ireland last year, <laughs> so it's kind of like I should have saved it for for the next year. I, I didn't know that WorldCon was going to be in Ireland, uh, so we'll see. And and if I do show up, we can grab a pint sure. or, or have exactly you know, have some fun. So uh, where where can people find you online and and buy your books?
1: Um, you can find me online mainly. I direct people at my Twitter feed because that's where I update the most, uh, which is at Mytholder. M Y T H O L D Y O R, which is a handle I've had online since 1997, and I'm not giving it up now. Right. <laughs> um, there's also garhanrahan at wordpress.com, and I should probably get a URL one of these days. Um, and as for buying the book, it is available in all good bookstores and also from Amazon. All over the world.
0: Gareth, thanks so much for coming on
1: Cosmic Dragon. We'd
0: loved having you and you're more than welcome to come back anytime. Not at all. Thank you so much.